Let's go. Coming to you from the basement of the basement of WCPT in Chicago, Illinois, it's the Sports Cubicle, where the inmates run the asylum and the boss, well, he's going to be mad at us because we're working overtime, especially this week, as we talk about the end of an era. We get all the guys from the Sports Cubicle together to talk about Nick Saban leaving Alabama, Bill Belichick leaving the Patriots, Pete Carroll leaving the Seahawks, and as well, Tiger Woods and Nike splitting after 27 years years. Mercado had a chance to sit down with Josh Buckhalter, who was inside Hallis Hall this week as the Bears chose to fire offensive coordinator Luke Getze and retain head coach Matt Eberflus for a third season. Bears have the number one pick once again in the upcoming draft. What are they going to do? Are they going to trade it like they did last year? Are they going to draft somebody? Are they going to get a new quarterback? Are they going to keep Justin Fields? Mercado and Josh talk about that in the show. Also, did you hear Jerry Krause get booed at the Bulls' Ring of Honor ceremony on Friday night as his widow was in attendance? That's some pretty sad stuff to hear about our fans here in the city of Chicago. And we also get a chance to talk about the NFL playoffs. Let's talk about that first as this weekend the NFL playoffs got underway on Saturday with games the Texans routing the Cleveland Browns. C.J. Stroud taking the Texans at home next week into the uh, game, either against the Ravens or if uh, actually now we do know it will be against the Ravens because the second game of the night was the Dolphins and the Chiefs. Chiefs in the freezing cold of Kansas City were able to handle the Dolphins. They'll advance and play at Buffalo next week. Speaking of Buffalo, that game was supposed to be earlier today here on Sunday against the Steelers, but a snowstorm in Buffalo pushed the game back. It's now going to be played tomorrow on Monday afternoon early game of a two-game slate and then you have the Monday night game which will be Philadelphia at Tampa Uh, and as far as the current game right now as I'm recording the Packers are routing the Dallas Cowboys I think something that a lot of people did not expect with that possible upset in the making it's looking to go in that direction it looks like the Packers will end up playing the number one seed San Francisco 49ers which could set up the Rams-Lions winner tonight that's being uh, played as we speak versus the uh, winner of the Philadelphia Eagles versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So should be a good playoff slate. We're going to keep track of that as the playoffs roll along. But first, let's get to the news of this week. Mercado, take it away. We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle as we try to gather our bearings. I'm Mike Mercado and It was a seismic few days in the NFL, to say the least. And while there have been some crazy shakeups around the National Football League, we're going to get to all that to help guide us through the nonsense, the confusion, some of the surprise moments at Hallis Hall is one of our favorites in the entire industry. He is our brother. He is Josh Falkulter. You know you've seen all his work at Heavy.com, on Last Word on Sports, on Soaring Down South. Uh, you check him out every Sunday uh, at Bears games. You see him at Hallis Hall. He's at Clocker Sports, Triple Zero. He's everywhere. He's even making sure he's a five-star chef. He's an astronaut and an engineer. Josh, Welcome back to the show, buddy. Thanks, man. That was a heck of an introduction. If I could do those last few things, man, uh, I might not have time for this. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have to deal with having to wait to, uh, what, a six-hour day at Hallis Hall just between Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, and even Kevin Warren making an appearance. So why don't we do this? Why don't we go in that order, going through each person's mindset and what your thoughts were from the last few days of the Chicago Bears and the painting the picture of this, that Luke Getzey, 
is gone, no longer the offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. They will retain Matt Eberflus for another season. Ryan Poles did make that decision now, linked to the hip with a Matt Eberflus. And let's start there. Your initial thoughts, your gut reaction, your first reaction when you saw the news kind of trickle down, when the murmurs were starting to come to your cell phone that there were changes being made, but it was at the OC position and at the HC position. Validation, um, because I've been uh, steady in my reporting all season about how steady the locker room has been in what they've said. And I've often pointed that back to Eberflus's influence um, from quotes from Jaquan Brisker, Justin Fields noting the 200 rule that they had implemented um, and just things like that that came about un, un uh, they weren't asked, right? They just come, they brought those out by themselves. And I thought that that stood out to me throughout the year as they were going through some of those trying times. And I actually, when the word started coming out before we actually got to hear from them directly, um, I wrote about that for Clocker Sports that what probably saved Matt Eberflus was that influence in the locker room. And the opposite was probably true for Luke Getze. Come to find out that was the case. They were talking about how uh, Brian Poles did, how he was impressed with Eberflus' steady hand and ability to keep things on track throughout the tumult uh, of the season. And then conversely, you heard the uh, continued I guess a disappointment in what the offense failed to become. And that was something that was a threat consistently on, on a play to play basis, not just week to week, but even in games, you saw sometimes they would just seem like they forgot their way. Um, and so when you have a guy like DJ Moore come out and say, you know, what kind of offense are we going to be when you have Justin Fields comments earlier in the season, which I don't think were an attack, but were very telling when he said coaching was kind of bogging, bogging him down on the field. Um, and then, Pair that with what we saw in the back half of last season. The fact that it took so long to get the offense rolling into this season, I think was probably put Luke Getzey behind the eight ball even before this was a real conversation. So, Josh, this is where I'm at, right? And I've been trying to exercise these sports meatball demons where I'm trying to be objective. And I'm also trying to understand that I am a fan. I don't have to always be objective. But just my thinking of this Head coach, you're bringing in this head coach, right? You didn't fire him. And I understand I'm somebody who's always argued that stability matters. You don't want to be this organization that has turnover and turnover and turnover at GM and head coach. How can you ever build the foundation? But how do they make amends to not being prepared week one against Green Bay for having the type of showing, mind you, with the injuries they did against Green Bay to end the season? The 30-point blowouts against Kansas City and just understanding that Matt Eberflus was giving a, a raw deal that first year when it was a total deconstruction of the team. But how is Matt Eberflus with a straight face, at least with this, uh, when you see guys like Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll gone and you know Nick Saban's retiring, just Mike Vabro's gone and just the coaches that are no longer head coaches in the NFL, that we're talking about stability and we're talking about keeping a locker room, but not being prepared at certain games and dumb penalties and you having to fire your defensive coordinator during the season and you've had to fire now your offensive coordinator there. How do they make amends to that? Oddly, they've, uh, and to each one of those things individually, they've responded by saying that they are happy with how they responded to those things. So they're they've been very actionary in that sense. Um, and I agree with you. A lot of those are troubling signs, especially the coordinator, the personnel that ha have had to come in and out of that building in the past couple of seasons. Um, understandably, that first season was a, a bit of a crapshoot because they did actively tear the roster down to the studs. So if you don't want to hold that against him, fine. Um, I do hope that people are applying that logic universally across you know including justin fields um but at the same time 
you still do have those players who back Matt Eberflus. You had Montez Sweat given an emphatic, oh, I love Eberflus. You have uh, players who, and I know it seems corny to everybody in the outside, but when you talk to the players and you see their reactions when talking about the nicknames and the bonding type of things that they have going on, when their emotion shows that kind of, of, of uh, connection to the head coach, it's more understandable. Now, whether that's the right or wrong decision, I don't know. It's a very Bears avenue to go, especially when you mention all the change. I think I tweeted that out, that it's, it's you know, in, in a season where we're seeing uh, head coaches with very uh, hefty cachet getting let go and stepping back. Matt Eberflus seems like the Teflon Don right now. Um, <laughs> but it's it's just one of those things where I guess you have to, like you said, you have to do step away from the fandom side of it and kind of step into in the locker room and how that, you know, how that, and again, I've applied the same logic to what they're going to do with Justin Fields. And so if we'll, if it plays out how I think it's going to go there, then I will definitely know that they are definitely trying to be a, a player centric organization. So then do you give an extension to Matt Eberflus in the hopes of being able to solidify the offensive coordinator position that it isn't just a lame duck coach that if we are going to draft Caleb Williams or we're going to keep Justin Fields, we'll talk about that in a second. Just this idea though, we're, it's some kind of lore that we're bringing an OC that can develop and maybe build up his resume opposed to what might happen now where it, it, it might be the hottest seat in the NFL and you might bring in Waldron from Seattle or somebody else and name one of the other coordinators that is comfortable enough or has been in the league long enough where it really doesn't matter. But I mean, do you, th- where, do you think that that's maybe a way they're going to go that just to extend him or, or do you think they're just going to let it right out into next season? They didn't sound as though they were looking to extend him right now. Now, that's, again, my perception from things that they didn't say exactly. Uh, at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me, given Poles is saying that he will work closely with Iberflus on this offensive coordinator hire to find someone that could replace Iberflus if things don't go well going into next season. That's my, I guess, tinfoil hat theory that this next this hire, and that's what I wrote about in the article, this is probably the most important hire of, of Poles' tenure just because this guy could theoretically be the next uh, head coach Coach, if you hit this pick, right, you like what you've gotten from Matt Eberflus, but we don't know if that's sustainable because turnovers are a fluky stat. Um, injuries and things of that nature always impact that kind of stuff. Um, um, so this offensive coordinator, you don't want to risk losing him, but you want a guy that can come and develop, like you said, Fields or whoever. And so if you nail this hire, just don't be surprised if this is the guy that starts getting whispers for the head coaching spot if the Bears falter out of the gates next season. And it just goes back to all the what you just said, the Bear dumb of it where it's always the GM can't hire the coach or the coach is here when the new GM gets here and then let's say this is Justin Fields this is another an offensive coordinator he has to go through let's say it is Drake May or it is Caleb Williams and it doesn't work this year it's going to be a new coaching staff the following year and it's just such a bear's way for this to go down and I want to you know make sure everybody follow make sure you guys are following Josh on Twitter at Josh G Buck and Clocker Sports and all the other amazing stuff we'll we'll talk about it throughout the uh, the entire season of the NBA because we got to talk story down south stuff because Atlanta, Chicago, craziness in the Eastern Conference. But um, the players, you've always said they've never lost the locker room and that they're very united. And I think your videos and your interviews and the times you're at Hallisaw and at, at the locker room after the game, it shows that. But I want to pivot a little bit to the other guy who was at these press conference in Ryan Poles. And this is a guy who, for the second straight year, has a number one pick. But this year is a little bit different, in my opinion. This is my thesis, Josh, and tell me what you think. The adage, scared money doesn't make money. We already know that the head coach is on the hot seat on some level. 
we already know that there's a lot of foundational shaking going on on what might the next few years be. If Ryan Poles goes into this draft and doesn't select a quarterback, but stockpiles a bunch of picks and gets a Marvin Harrison or one of these stud receivers and an edge rusher and goes into trusting Matt Eberflus and a Justin Fields and you win seven games again, the chances of you getting the third opportunity to pick a quarterback is not happening this league. How often does a general manager get the chance to pick the unabashed number one quarterback two times in a row and misses on it? Not just misses, doesn't take a swing at it. I think it's, as much as I like Justin, it's foolish to believe this Bears team is not going to pick quarterback at number one. While it might be very alluring to pick a lot of draft picks, it makes no sense for Ryan Post to have all of them if he's not going to be able to use them if you make the wrong choice. Hearing what Ryan Poles had to say, being in the locker room, feeling the vibes at Hallis Hall, what does your gut say after you heard him at that press conference about Justin Fields? We know he, how he feels about Jalen Johnson. We know he's going to take care of him. But this move right here, where are you landing on the GM and the QB of the Chicago Bears? So he was very clear to say that he will remove the emotion of the player sentiment from his decision somewhat. He said it will factor in, but he's had to separate that somewhat when he tries to make the best decision for the franchise, which 100%, if he wasn't, he wouldn't be doing his job. Um, at the same time, I have to look at the rest of his moves, the trade for Montez Sweat, the inking of a veteran in Andrew Billings, the talk of bringing back a Jalen Johnson. Um, and then you marry that with the strong sentiments, not just sentiments, but strong, overwhelming support for Fields, the strong, we don't want to take a step back sentiments from that locker room. And while it doesn't have to be that with a rookie quarterback, I will point the other side. How often does the number one quarterback pan out, let alone for the original team that drafted him? Right. How often has the best quarterback not gone number one last year? That pick was supposed to be Bryce Young. CJ Stroud sure enough looks the best out of that class. So I will just sit, simply say that while he can go either way here, and I think you can make a case for him to go any direction. Um, I think the, the my gut tells me that it. I don't know if he's even settled. I think he is. And I would lean towards fields coming back. That's my deep, deep, deep gut. But I also think that if the right offer comes along for either one of those things, fields or the pick, he's going to entertain it to the point where it could sway his mind. It is one of the most fascinating moments in Chicago sports when you really try to just break down all the different scenarios, the multiverses that can happen because you can make a strong argument on why Matt Eberflus, they get a raw deal and should be given one more season. You could make the most valid of cases of why Justin Fields should be QB1 going into next season. You can also make an argument about Caleb Williams or Drake May or any of these other quarterbacks later on in the first round. There is so many different ways that this organization can go, but they have to get it right. And I trust Ryan Poles in a lot of different ways because, I, like you mentioned, that Montez Sweat deal. I, I And it's funny because people want to hang Chase Claypool on him, and I agree, it was a bad move, period. But I don't condemn him for making the move. It made sense at the time when you look at what free agency was the next year and the attributes of Chase Claypool, but I'm going to give him the pass in that sense. So we kind of have an idea that we, he's going to be very aggressive and he's going to go and check out all the different avenues. But there's one more person on this podium that we saw at Hallis Hall. And that's Kevin Warren. And look at I and I've listened to all the smart football people, the smart journalists, the smart sports people, just people who 
maybe even listen and watch from the sidelines that don't necessarily have an investment. And the one thing I've really come together, and I want to know your thoughts on this, Josh, especially being there. We put a lot on Kevin Warren. We put a lot of our own insecurities and wants and needs onto him when none of that was ever promised. He never promised us certain changes or certain kind of deliveries that we were looking for. This is a guy that's had a lot of success, but a lot of it has been business success, which is still super neat, especially when you're trying to build a brand new stadium. But Josh, am I crazy to believe that Kevin Warren is going to let, and maybe this isn't a bad thing or a good thing, but he's just going to let football people do the football things. And his job is to make sure the bears are profitable and that they get a brand new stadium with the best possible deal. No, I, he's definitely going to have, I don't want to say he's going to put his thumb on the scales in the football side, but he will have input on the football side to make sure things are running the way his vision sees fit. Um, he was very clear about letting those guys do their jobs, uh, but he also was clear about his vision and and being deliberate uh, and patiently impatient, I want to say, are the two things that he he mentioned the most uh, during his presser. And so uh, when you speak to the sentiment part of things, I asked him about watching that game against the Packers because they showed him in the booth and on the camera a few times and he had the same look and I'm sure a lot of Bears fans had so I just asked him where his head was for that and he kept talking about a, a third year leap and the third year being critical for a, t a franchise to take that that big next step so I asked him you know where were your thoughts at in relative in relation to the Bears taking that leap and he broke out and on his own the sentiment of not taking off that the strap that they give you when you go into the stadium until I think the day before he had the presser. So he 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 made that connection already. And he said that it to him felt more like the a uh, good start towards the 2024 season because it gave them a better idea of where they were. Remember, they came into that game riding high. They had came into the they're coming to the season riding high and then got smacked in the mouth by Green Bay, faltered throughout the year, found their stride, and then got smacked in the mouth again in a way that it just seemed like it was insurmountable. So to him, it let them know they could be proud of where they've come but they have so much more distance to cover before he gets there. And so he's going to be patiently impatient and deliberate. However, he will uh, uh, make sure that the, the football side gets on track as well. So I, I wouldn't be worried that he's just there like a, in a Ted Phillips-esque type of capacity. This is why I think the Chicago Bears media is the best sports media uh, full of journalists in the world because you guys bring a lot of these questions and whatnot and and a lot of what we're thinking from outside of Hallis Hall to the forefront and bringing out these quotes and getting these quotes from them. I think the one thing I take from it besides having great journalists like yourself and some of the others that we all of them that are in that locker room. Uh, I hate that the Bears are constantly crowning themselves and giving themselves applause for overcoming their own mistakes. That's the one thing I just can't ever get over when it comes to the frustration rubbing my head just putting the the idea of that hey i shot myself in the foot and i taught myself how to walk again it's like it's that with the chicago bears but josh uh this has been amazing this is everybody knows you're one of the goats when it comes to this one of the up-and-comers that has gone to new levels since we first started this journey and now that we hit the very end of the season it just got started again you know, like there was no time to rest. So the last thing uh, I'll leave you with this, Josh, and then we'll plug everything is uh, two scenarios. I think that that have to play out right for for Justin Fields lovers first is that they trade down one or twice. They get their receiver, a stud receiver, whoever it is you input it. Everybody wants, you know, junior, but it could be any one of the other studs. There's plenty of them. They get their edge rusher. Then you just get him some offensive line help. Try to get a center. You, you build that defense. You try go. Do that. Go all in on it and also extend him. Get that done with. Know what you're messing with. 
in your payroll and, and your salary cap and what your team is going to look for for the next three to four years because the Montez Sweat deal is your window. That is how long you have if you think you're competitive. So that's plan A. Plan B, if you're – you should have blown up the whole thing co- coaching staff, but if you're going to go with the quarterback, don't falter. Just pick, live with it, and go. And then go get a, a receiver and free agency that is a veteran like a T. Higgins, that type. Give him as much veteran surrounding as you can. And I think there's something to this guy from like a Waldron, right? The offensive coordinator from Seattle where it's, hey, look what he did with Geno. Imagine what he could do with either the number one pick or Justin Fields. So I think the roster is good. And there is a way for this to work out to nine to ten wins. But it better work out to nine to ten wins. Any final thoughts, Josh? Yeah, so working backwards from this, the Waldron point, I actually tweeted out a post about the numbers in his three seasons at the helm there in uh, or at, at OC there in Seattle, and they're not great. So um, anybody that's expecting a miracle turnaround because of his, his potential addition, just be you know prepared to have maybe some flashes, but it won't reach the highest that I think some of the hype has reached, especially around a guy like Gino, who was a very strong uh, uh, feather in his cap. No, don't get me wrong there. Um, Elsewhere, though, I think the Bears need another receiver. I think you need at least a center, if not another tackle, because I'm not sure how they feel about Braxton Jones. I think I like Jones. I think he needs to get a lot stronger because that the bull rush is still giving a problem in the false starts. I think it's why you see that, because he's not strong enough to hold up against some of the point of attack stuff. Um, but we know that Poles also is a guy who's gotten, I, I want to say, stronger in his second time around doing things. Um, he has repeatedly mentioned a trade that didn't work out for him. And I, I've, he's never said it specifically, but I think it's the Claypool trade. That would be the one that stands out the most <laughs> to anybody. But he's talked about how much it's taught him. He says that that taught him more while he also noted that the passing up on C.J. Stroud didn't really teach him anything, which I took that as a sign of, no, we kind of knew this would be what C.J. could do. We just have you know reasons to not take him. So, um those three things there, it's it's shaping up to me to be, like I said, a, a situation where you try to maximize the talent around Justin Fields. And while we all have crowned uh, uh, Caleb Williams the next GOAT, you know, before he's even touched the football field in the NFL, that label comes around far more often than we want to admit. And so I'm pretty sure Poles is like, listen, if I'm not completely convinced on this kid, I'm not too worried about having to find the next GOAT because especially if I build up the rest of this roster and I can drop in if it's not a rookie it'll be a veteran who wants to be traded to a new situation so Poles is sitting literally in the king seat right now he just has to go ahead and and like you said be decisive in his moves so what are your thoughts about Larsa Pippen and Marcus Jordan <laughs> he's Josh Buckholzer. You can check out all his work all over the internet. Make sure he is on heavy.com. Last word on sports, of course, soaring down south. NBA, it's in full swing. So make sure you guys are checking that out. And of course, Clocker Sports and Triple Zeros NFL playoffs are here, and the Chicago Bears are going to be active. We will find out what's going to be the move at the offensive coordinator. And every day we get closer to the NFL draft, and there's only one person you want to be tuned into when it comes to in the locker room, talking to these players and having. The pulse of the team is Josh Ballculture. Josh, uh, did we miss anything? Is there any other thing you want to want to plug, my friend? No, you got it all. Man, run up the YouTube, guys. Cocker Sports uh, on YouTube. Run that up. We got it. We'll tag them up there to make sure you guys link it below. And uh, Josh, you're the best. Thank you so much. Great job. And uh, yeah, you go to take the seven minute nap that you get once a day because uh, you got to go uh, ring of honor ceremony. You got to go cover for the Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Anytime. <laughs>
He's the best. He's Josh Buckholzer. I'm Mike Mercado. We got more coming up next. We wanted to hit on this story here on the Sports Cubicle. We appreciate you making us a part of your day. I'm Mike Mercado. And on Friday, January 12th, 2024, the Chicago Bulls celebrated the Ring of Honor, honoring the 95-96 Chicago Bulls, a bunch of players and coaches. And it was a reunion, of course, Scottie Pippen wasn't there. Michael Jordan wasn't there. Dennis Rodman wasn't there. It was a blizzard in Chicago. This was brought up in six weeks, and it just really goes to show amateur hour that goes on with Jerry Reinsdorf and anything that the Reinsdorfs, more specifically Jerry, touches. And this isn't a criticism towards the staff, the promotions, and everybody who's behind the scenes trying to make these things come to true and come to life and for them to be able to have an experience and to honor their players and honor their history and honor the fans and that run, this isn't against them. But the real thing we want to spotlight here was a moment during the celebration, during the ceremony on the Videotron, they were showing the, obviously the montage and the highlight reel of that Chicago Bulls team. And they got to Jerry Krause and the Chicago Bulls fan at the United Center that night Food. Of course, here in Chicago, you understand there is no love loss for Jerry Krause. After the last dance a few years ago, there is even an uglier stain on the name of Jerry Krause amongst Bulls fans. But the moment the fans in the United Center are booing and they're showing a montage of Jerry Krause, what does it then fade to on the next scene? His widowed wife crying, shaking people off because an arena filled of 17,000 jackasses are booing a dead man. Mind you, a man most of them have never met. Most of them don't remember that Bulls team because that Jerry Reinsdorf-led Bulls team hasn't won crap since Jerry Krause was the general manager of the Chicago Bulls. It was a stain. It was a disgrace. It's embarrassing to be a Chicago Bulls fan after that moment. That man was part of six championships. Then you talk about, you know, Michael Jordan made this team. He built two different three-peat champions. And you can have any gripe you want against Jerry Krause. The man was alive. You could boo him anytime. They would have a random appearance. You would see him on the scoreboard. If he was at Wrigley or at the cell at the time, or if he was at Soldier Field, I get it. This was a celebration of an organization's only high time. The only time they could really put their hat on going back 20 years. Because ownership is, quite frankly, a joke. And this is another example of the Reinsdorfs not being able to read the room. Obviously having their head in the sand, not knowing what's going on with their two biggest icons and their families going at it. And then, for Bulls fans, the arrogance, the entitlement to boo Jerry Krause on a night of celebration. And the deserved embarrassment of watching that widowed, watching that old woman cry as Chicago showed our asses. We deserve everything that comes to us when it comes to karma as Bulls fans from that moment on. I am not against people booing. When you buy your tickets, that buys you to be able to boo. Read the room. You don't always have to be an ass. We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. It has been a seismic change in the National Football League, and we brought the whole crew around the water cooler here on the Sports Cubicle to break down some of the biggest news 
not just in the last five years, not just in the last 10 years, but possibly in the history of both college football and the National Football League. And to help me talk about Nick Saban retiring and Bill Belichick leaving the New England Patriots, it's Paul Shavari, it's Devin Tingle, it's the marvelous one, Dan Marver, I'm Mike Mercado, and where do we begin, right? As a 33-year-old going on 34, my entire sports fandom has seen Bill Belichick dominate the National Football League. My entire life, what from the teenage years on, has Nick Saban willing at LSU and at Alabama. Now we are here where both titans of the sports are going in the fork in the world. Will Nick Saban ever come back? Will he go into television? Where is Bill Belichick going to land the ticket? is been stamped the minutes are counting down until we find out the next destination for bill but until then i want to talk about it with you guys how big of a moment this is for sports not just football but american sports paulie i'll start with you you and i have always had fun conversations about the patriots and the raiders and just how this has impacted your fandom how bill belichick has left a stamp on your fandom all these years heck all of the whole national football league your initial thoughts when you saw bill belichick now announcing having this press conference with robert Kraft. he has gone from new england will find a new home next season your thoughts on bill belichick tenure ending with the new england patriots it's the end of an era that's for sure i mean 24 years as the head coach of one team uh, six championships to go with that. I I mean, I'm sure he'll coach again just to chase the the Hallis and Shula win totals. But I think, I, I mean, this might be the end of him. I'm sure a team would take him, but he's over 70 years old. I think he would have to inherit a team that's already ready to go. <laughs> but Marv, are you ready to come in and coach? I'm, I'm ready. How about Rick Pitino? He's over 70 also. I mean, I, mean, I don't mean to play an ageist, I but I think, you know, he's, he's been there for a while. He set up a culture. Um, it'll be neat to see him if he if he does coach again. But I think as far as NFL history, this this is a big chapter that's uh, that's changing over right now. Um, and along with Pete Carroll, you, you'd reminded me before we started that that Pete Carroll also got ousted. And, and those are two. Very important coaches in the NFL, long tenured, and a couple of uh, Super Bowls, um, a, a few Super Bowls uh, between the two of them, uh, including one that they played against each other. That was uh, one of the most controversial endings ever. But it's it's the end of an era. They're two great coaches, and uh, it's time for the next the next generation to start. But um, you know, congrats to them on long illustrious careers. And I think it's. It- so funny you bring up the Pete Carroll thing right because it's been kind of lost in this entire conversation that is how big it is that Bill Belichick has left the New England Patriots and Nick Saban is now retired and out of Alabama and you know it's it's crazy to me the age thing right because I do think Bill Belichick is going to coach again but I think it's one of these things where the options would have been even bigger had it been five years ago maybe around the same time that Brady had left New England had Bill Belichick left New England. Who knows what kind of organizational power he would have? How much goodwill the difference of senior leader, 65 years old, in the grind of the NFL opposed to going to be 70-plus in today's National Football League when you're going up against guys like Sean McVay. And that's why I want to bring it up to you, Marvelous. Like You see where New England is now moving forward in their organization. And this press conference that we saw between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick. And now that Ben Johnson has been brought into the rumors of Washington, 
Maybe Bill Belichick's going to Dallas if Mike McCarthy falls this weekend. Maybe he's going to Los Angeles. Maybe he's going to Vegas. We did see that uh, Jared Mayo is now the new head coach of the New England Patriots. So it won't be Mike Vrabel who will be coaching New England. Marver, you know, we, we were we were busting chops about the, the 70-year-old, but it goes to your point, right, how fast things move in the National Football League, how quick schemes change, how quick the turnaround is, and how much power does an organization want to give to Bill Belichick? What were your initial thoughts when you heard the retirement and now that a few days have passed by, your thoughts on what he might be doing in the future in the NFL? Well, if I were Bill Belichick, I don't know if I'd want to coach again. And particularly in some of these dome stadiums and warm weather climates, he won't be able to wear his hoodie as much. And that's, I think that's a factor. He is 71. He went to college with my friend Jeff, very intelligent guy. I think that he maybe want to be in management at, at this point. Maybe he doesn't want to walk around in, in 20 degree temperatures uh, with his hoodie on. I mean, maybe maybe that would be a good thing. Maybe with management and if he could manage and coach, perhaps, I think that that would be a, a good fit for him. I, I I don't know. I don't see him for some reason at Dallas or Vegas or some of these other places. And, I mean, by the way, 70 is the new 50 because Saban's 72. And Pete, and Carol's 72 also, by the way. And Rick Pitino's 71. But in any event, it, it's, 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 you know. And uh, I mean, the president of the United States is going to be over seventy unless they both die. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's. It, it, I mean, it it does. I'm thinking of myself. I don't know if I'd want to walk around the sidelines in the cold at this point in my life. But maybe he does. I, but so maybe he does want to uh, coach in a warm weather place or be in management. That's that's what I would do if I he went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. The smart guy. He, he you know he he, he uh, it, what happened is. It, Brady was it Brady that carried him, or did he carry Brady? That's another argument for all the Super Bowls. But uh, now with the poor record they had, you know, it it was inevitable that the end would come, and it's too bad he couldn't have ended it like some people do on an up note, you know. But I, I don't know if he's going to coach again, honestly. Marvelous. I want to. I'm so glad you brought this up, and this is why you're perspective in this conversation is very valued and we're going to get to Devin in just a second but let me ask you this being of the same age group right you haven't yes. stopped working and yeah. you kind of found your way to find things that are comfortable for you that kind of work around your schedule that still pique your interest do you think maybe it might be even the opposite of he mm. doesn't want to do management but maybe he just wants to do x's and o's wake up at five in the morning be at the facility and coach a bunch of youngsters do you think that might be it, too, that just somebody his age, his entire life has been working, that he doesn't know the definition of R&R. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think he's the right personality to be an analyst on t on television, but he'd sure be a darn good one, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, he's, he's really good. He's even, really even with his, 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 his press conferences are witty, but they're a little bit gruff. I, I mean, I don't know if, if, you know, if he could modify his personality enough, but he'd be one heck of a analyst so he was surprisingly really candid during the nfl 100 mm -hmm. stuff like he was really leading the charge on the the coaches section of that he was yeah. great at the press conference that he had with robert Kraft. like he I, I think he does and it's what we've always talked about here on the sports cubicle right it's one of the points i've always said coaches have always taken the wrong lessons from bill belichick it's never just been we're on to miami we're on to houston next question 
the, the, the beauty of Bill Belichick was the cerebralness of knowing how to get the best out of his players, knowing how to change schemes, knowing how to deflect. And that wasn't a thing of I'm hiding my schemes. It was like, no, 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 I'm making myself the story. So you don't have to ask Teddy Bruschi a thousand questions. Or you have to ask Tom Brady a thousand questions, you know, like that was the genius of Bill Belichick. And Devin, you and I, same age group, we've grown up since we were 10, 11, 12, since you were six, seven, eight, it was <laughs> New England beating Carolina and Philadelphia and losing to the Giants. And it was just every February we had a feeling we know who was going to be in there. We knew that Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were going to be the conference finals. Like it was always a great time to see and live in that moment. And now that Bill Belichick is out of New England, Tom Brady's been gone. How funny would it be if, if also, by the way, Bill Belichick ended up as the Tampa Bay head coach. How crazy would that be? But that's a conversation for a different day. Devin, where were you in your emotions, your thoughts, your fandom when Bill Belichick announced that he's done with New England? I mean, I definitely feel like this was a mutual feeling between New England and Bill Belichick. I don't think one side was kind of, you know, in there. I mean, Belichick kind of knew his time was done. And again, I do see he might want to go and be like to another team and try and, you know, have a better send-off season you know because again how many people want to end their careers like Peyton Manning winning the Super Bowl you don't want to end your career like Brett Favre finishing two and 14 getting carried off the field by all the younger players difference between coaching and playing absolutely here but Marver brought up a very valid point that he might want to get into management and again Pete Carroll he stepped down from the head coach role in Seattle but there's a lot of talks that he's going to go into management with the Seattle Seahawks and in all reality that might be the better way to go here and let's be real here what team is not going to want to bring in Bill Belichick in any sort of management position? Coaching, different story here. But if he comes back, he's going to go to a team that's going to win within the next year or two. Again, as Paul said it best, he's getting up there in age. And I know Marvin said 70 is the new 50 here, but it does go to that thing here. Everyone wants to finish on a big note, and you don't want to wait around. Again, he's in his late 70s. The average life expectancy in America is 74. These guys are – he's already lived past that. His next day could be tomorrow. So he's not going to want to, you know, uh, trying to think of a word that I can say on the radio. He's not going to want to, you know, dabble and, you know, he's not going to go to the Carolina Panthers. And be like, we're going to make Bryce Young great. No, he might go to somewhere like Tampa because Baker Mayfield really has turned that team around. But it's already a, that was a terrible division out there. I mean, you said it best. If Mike McCarthy goes, you know, the Dallas Cowboys will be calling Bill Belichick and he will take whatever money they throw his way. Stop trying to kill off Marver, okay? It's not his thing. I'm not trying to kill off Marver. You better stop trying to kill off people in their 70s, Devin. I'm not trying to kill anyone. I'm just saying. (laughs) But speaking of men leaders in their 70s and impact in the sport here on the Sports Cubicle, we're breaking down Bill Belichick leaving New England, going to find a new home in the National Football League. And that wasn't the only big story we were breaking down here on the Sports Cubicle with Devin Tingle, with Paul Shavari, with the marvelous one, Dan Marver. I'm Mike Mercado. Pete Carroll was somebody who in this circle is the one that's in the middle of these three coaches. He won a national championship in USC, won a Super Bowl in the National Football League. He went from NFL to college back to the NFL and succeeded. Opposed to, but nothing against a Nick Saban or somebody like Bill Belichick who was the succeeder after what happened in New England. 
a weird way that all these guys are connected, but he has been kind of lost in all this. So really fast, I just want to give his flowers to them because we have to talk about the biggest, I believe, even bigger than Bill Belichick is Nick Saban's instant, uh, sudden retirement. But really fast, just some flowers really uh, quickly around the cubicle of Pete Carroll, who his teams with Matt Liner and with Reggie Bush, I mean, uh, that USC game against Notre Dame and, and that national championship game against Texas, it, it just, it's seared into my memory as a, you know, as a young sports fan and then having that crazy game against Denver, but then uh, giving up the Super Bowl with a pass instead of giving it to Marshall, like so many impacts that he was in. And uh, I'll start with you, uh, Polly. He Carroll gone from the NFL. Your thoughts. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to give him flowers because I think he kind of cut and run from USC, but he became a better coach as he went along and inherited or at least built one of the greatest defenses in NFL history, the Legion of Boom out in Seattle. Um, good coach. He, you know, he definitely earned uh, what he did. And it was neat to see him come back after failing in the 90s with the Patriots and the Jets to come back with the Seahawks and become a champion. Marvelous. Pete Carroll, well, we don't know where he will land. Maybe it will be management. Maybe it will be uh, on the sidelines of a different team. But for now, he is gone from Seattle and a legacy cemented, a national champion and a Super Bowl champion coach. Your thoughts on Pete Carroll gone from Seattle? Yeah, Pete Carroll, another youthful 72-year-old. I mean, the one thing to keep in mind is that when you're in the management at some point, this is bound to happen. He said after he was let go um, that uh, it's tough to uh, make, a, make a football decisions uh, with non-football people calling the shots in Seattle. That was a quote from him. So, uh, and even that's even true in, in many organizations where non-football people are calling the shots. So um, that was kind of telling. Uh, I think again, he uh, like he he made his mark in both college and the pros. And he he failed in both the college and the pros. So he's had an up and down career, like the stock market. So uh, I'll tell you, another I don't know legacy coach like the ones, all the ones we're talking about that have been tremendous and, you know, have coached a quarter century, maybe more, maybe a half century when we get to Saban. <laughs> but uh, it's it's remarkable that uh, when we look at these careers, they're, you know, they're, they're now a lot of people you've never heard of that are now going to be coaches. I mean, giving their first time shot. And so uh, it's a, it's a new era, but uh, Pete Carroll, again, I don't know what he'll do. Maybe it was, it would be the same questions as Belichick. What do you want to get back in the management? Do you want to be a, a commentator? Do you want to coach again? Those are the, usually the three avenues they take. I mean, at some point, even Brady's going to be a commentator next year, apparently. So, Dev, uh, really fast, your thoughts on Pete Carroll. And then I want you to kind of pivot on the other guy, maybe the GOAT, the biggest sudden one of Nick Saban. Well, your thoughts on Pete Carroll leaving and then being overshadowed <laughs> by Nick Saban announcing his retirement. I mean, I'll say Pete Carroll's was probably the most surprising out of all. All of them, I mean, if I had to really kind of pick one. And I'm kind of like Paul. I never really liked Pete Carroll. We got to give credit where credit is due. I mean, now that Pete Carroll's gone, I would love to see that man in navy and orange. It would be so great because let's take a look. You know, there was this guy. He played for Seattle. He took him to the Super Bowl twice, a bunch of playoffs. And then they traded him to Denver, and he started sucking ass in every way, shape, and form. <laughs> and then they took this guy who was a journeyman. He was supposed to be great, and he was terrible. Came to Seattle. And took them to the playoffs. I mean, man, can you only imagine what a team like the Chicago Bears could do if they had a quarter uh, head coach who had to like develop a bleeping quarterback? 
oh, it'd be so amazing. That's probably not going to happen here. But yeah, I mean, the whole thing with Saban just, it was, I mean, again, I, sorry, Marvin, when you're on the older side of the thing. And again, it's one of those things you kind of never thought he just, he seemed like a guy who's been there forever. As we've talked about, I didn't really think Saban was ever going to retire. He was going to be that coach that died in the chair, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And again, this is def you know, two of the greatest coaches of all time in Belichick and Saban, you know, one retiring and then the other retiring or walking away. We don't know. And again, who knows? Saban might want to jump into the NFL for one big go. He's going to take Brian Zappi to the playoffs. Uh, and if you can do that, uh, you're the Jesus Christ second coming here. A Bailey Zappi drop. Who would have thought if we would get that? And I would disagree with our co-host, Paulie. I think the Nick Saban thing was one that came out of nowhere. They were in the playoffs. He's won nine national championships. The playoffs are extending next year. So you would think that he would want to stay. But here we are, right, in a new day of college football where a bunch of teams, Michigan just finally won a national championship. Who knows the next 12 teams are going to be for the playoffs. But your thoughts, Nick Saban, I mean, the GOAT, he's he's gone. Yeah, I thought it was weird that he would leave after this season. But, of course, just like Belichick, though, uh, not that Belichick had a, had a choice in the matter versus Saban, I, I knew that they were going to be the guys that didn't want the farewell tour. They didn't want the circus following them. And, and especially with college players, you know, that distraction hovering over them. I would have liked to see Saban go out on top. And I really thought, you know, gosh, you know, Bama had a chance to finish out that Rose Bowl and uh, change the course of history here. But now we're talking about the national champion Wolverines. Um, did we need another uh, Saban led Bama championship? No. But knowing now that this was going to be his final season, I think it would have been neat to see them as a number four seed going in and and getting the national championship, you know, the actually facing adversity. But uh, a great coach, you know, he figured it out. It, it's crazy when you think that 10 of the SEC championships in this century are, are Nick Saban-led teams when you lump in his two that he had with LSU. So, I mean, that that's an impressive resume to just be that consistent in arguably the toughest football conference, you know, pro college or amateur. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a dogfight in the SEC, and Nick Saban's a legend. I mean, you know, like – the name Bear Bryant, I think, has to go down a peg when you talk about Nick Saban's career and what he's been able to do since then. And we talk about quarterback whispers and Pete Carroll. Imagine the course of history if Miami Dolphins doctors tell Nick Saban to go with Drew Brees instead of Dante Culpepper. Who knows <laughs> what would have changed our Marver, we have about a minute and a yeah, half yeah, left. Sure. Talk to us about your thoughts of the GOAT, Nick Saban, um, done at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's seven championships, LSU in 2003, Alabama 09, 11, 12, 15, 17, and 20. He was 17 years at the University of Alabama, and that's impressive. But I don't know if anybody else in this room can say they saw Nick Saban play in college, and I did. He was a safety for Kent State University, and in 1972, they won the championship uh, of the conference. It was their first bowl game and probably last championship since then. And then the next year, they were knocked off the top by another school you know, that I went to, but whatever. We'll leave that alone. But he had, he had some great years, even working his way up with another MAC team, Toledo, where he started. And eventually, he, he proved – I thought he might actually win this year and go out on top. I thought that, you know, again, 72 years old. I mean, you don't go on forever, except for Marvert. But what it is is, is a, you know, there comes a time where maybe you want to hang out with your grandchildren. or you, you know, I mean, it's a lot that they give up. I mean, the 
the recruiting. I mean, the whole you know, September to January thing. It's it's a lot. I mean, I, I get. I, I don't think I would want to do that. So they've given up a lot, and I think there comes a time where they they want to. You know, now they see the end is in their mind, and they want to. You know, uh, take do some things, travel more, whatever, uh, hang out with the, with the wife, whatever it may be. Uh, and and that's those are all factors. And again. He'd be a great analyst. <laughs> so, you know, maybe there's going to be a, a booth full of of seventy year old geniuses, uh, you know, in the NFL and college. Even in the studio, he wouldn't, have, you know, he wouldn't have to travel too far. He could go to wherever the studio is in New York or LA or whatever it is and hang out there. But these are guys that somebody's going to want either in t- in television or in on another team if they're still willing to do so. But like I say, there comes a time where you where you want to slow down. I mean, I can tell you. But that that is true because I can feel it myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate that you're always coming around the sports cubicle <laughs> and joining us around the water cooler. And we want to make sure that you guys are following us all over the universe. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Let us know your thoughts that Bill Belichick is gone, Nick Saban is gone, Pete Carroll is gone. It is a brand new day in the National Football League. And we're gonna be breaking down if they find new homes, the new faces around the league that are gonna be holding and going to be leading these NFL teams into the next season. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver. He's Devin Tingle. He's Paul Shabari. I'm Mike Mercado. We got more coming up next here on the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820 AM and now WSBC Tokyo. Things keep on changing and we are here to help you through these moments on the Sports Cubicle. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver. It's Devin Tingle. It's Paul Shabari. I'm Mike Mercado. And while the NFL is just trying to get used to all these changes and different faces in different places. A new change has happened. A divorce has happened. Tiger Woods and Nike are no longer together. <gasps> oh, it's a sad day. He's, they've both made billions of dollars off each other, but it does go to show that the winds of change are upon us, right, Paulie? I never thought that we would see the days where, you know, it, it'd be like Michael not being with Nike, AKA Jordan, you know, and, uh, you and I have talked about the greatness of Tiger a bunch of times, but your thoughts when you heard this kind of crazy news that that relationship has ended. Yeah, it makes me wonder what's going on at Nike. It sounds like the business is uh, struggling a little bit because I, and I don't know how well the brand is or isn't selling right now, but I know at its peak, you're talking about you can't think of Nike without Tiger or Tiger without Nike. The iconic red shirt and black hat on Sundays how many famous moments he's had in a Nike logo. I don't know what he's going to do next. And some speculate that he's going to get his own brand, but Tiger's not really the type of guy to really put himself out there like that. I think he likes the representation of Nike. So if, if anything, this creates probably one of the most valuable marketing free agents available right now, even though he, his best days are behind him. It's still, I mean, you, you can't think, I, I would bet 90% of the people on this planet, if you talk about golf, the first person they're going to think of is Tiger Woods. So it's it's a really important end of an era that I thought that we should have highlighted on the show. And, and I'm glad we're talking about it. But I, I couldn't believe it after, what, 27 years, them splitting and the fact that Nike must be so desperate that they can't retain him or keep selling that that merchandise and if anyone is interested in tiger woods nike merchandise it's like 50 percent off right now on the nike shop so you know grab it while you can 
That's crazy. Like to think of how valuable it's like Under Armour, right? Or like the rock stuff where it's just, it's yeah. such high end brand that for that to be the case. And it's uh, maybe too little too late to create your own brand. Like Jordan did it before he was Jordan. You know what I mean? And like for that to be the case now where Tiger is going to do that, it's really interesting. And for him to say no to Saudi money and to say no to Nike money now, like what does he have planned or what is going on? You're hundred percent right. Barber, this has been something that we that's just been part of golf for 30 years, essentially. Tiger Woods and Nike no longer together. Divorce yeah. happened. Yeah, 27 years. Can you imagine at age 19, he signed a five-year deal with $40 million. <laughs> Raised quite a few eyebrows at the time. Uh, but you know, there are a lot of other possibilities. You've got uh, you know, Skechers and Racing Clothiers, Melbourne and New Balance are some of the rumored uh, entities that, that want to take over uh, and pay millions. So, uh, you know, it's it's interesting, I mean, that this would happen. I mean, I don't know whether there was some issue that isn't, will never be known as to why it ended, but uh, it has. And we're talking about ends of an era. Here's another end of an era. And, and I'll tell you one thing, at the end of his prime, <laughs> you'll never see, it was like almost like automatic. I mean, the woods, it was like he had some kind of a magnet or something for the ball to land on the green and to make the putt. It, it, it was incredible in his prime. So he was probably worth the 40 million at the time and probably a lot more. So they probably got their money's worth, I would say. <laughs> Devin, you and I grew up as kids. This is this. It's Tiger Woods and Nike, right? It's it's the Jordan brand. It's everything. And now. A whole generation will not see it. A whole new generation of golf fans will never know Tiger Woods and Nike, at least for right now, being a marriage. So your thoughts on on the split? It's crazy. His marriage with Nike ended before his actual marriage did. We all know was that 15 years ago, we got caught bumping uglies with everything that moved. And the thing is, back in 2011, he was the highest paid athlete just through sponsors alone. And of course, when that scandal came out, everyone drops him except Nike here. So, I mean, it does make you wonder what's going on with Nike here. I mean, yes, Tiger Woods is not nearly as big of a draw as he is, used to be. That could be a big factor. I'm starting to think we all we all know who, uh, you know, one of Nike's biggest athletes is. You know, he, he's got a big old afro, likes to take little knees here and there. And quite frankly, I think what might happen is it's like, oh, Nike supports Colin Kaepernick. I'm not buying Nike golf shoes from those woke BS companies. And Tiger Woods golf stuff probably tanked because of it here. Because let's take a look. Who plays golf? They don't listen to WCPT. That's interesting. Uh, I don't know if I would correlate A to B, but I think that's something we should maybe dissect over the next few years, the impact of politics and COVID and sales, because we've seen it in the NBA and NFL. So there's definitely maybe on some level some correlation. But I always felt Tiger Woods was great for white America. I always felt he was the safest thing for white America. So I don't see Dave Chappelle race I, draft. I've never associated woke culture with Tiger Woods, but oh, no. in, in today's day and age, who knows what's considered conservative and woke and whatnot. But all I know is, is one of the goats is out of the brand that we've seen him forever. And it's going to be crazy to not see that Tiger Woods logo or whatever the new branding may be and how much money may be left on the table or how much money might be heading to the bank vault for everybody involved. We want to know your thoughts. Tiger Woods and Nike have now split. What do you think is going to happen? Who do you think is going to pick him up? How much money is going to be made in this deal? He's Devin Tingle. He's the marvelous Dan Marver. He's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado.
Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Sports Cubicle. I want to thank you for listening. For Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, and Dan Marver, I'm Paul Shavari. We are the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820 in Chicago, but you can also find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, however you listen to your podcast. Just search for the Sports Cubicle. But we also archive all of our shows in their entirety. Just search for it, soundcloud.com slash WCPT 820 slash tracks. You can also find us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV, and of course, our reels youtube interviews that we have segments youtube.com slash at the sports cubicle so long everybody and we will see you next week